Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Hi, everybody. Let's get going. Today, we are going to talk about oppositional defiant disorder. So I just read a post in somebody else's group on parenting highly sensitive kids where their three-year-old was labeled with ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, when they sought support from a mental health professional, all right? So I wanted to, to I just got fired up <laughs> and, um, and, and wanted to come in here and share with you guys uh, my opinion of that label and uh, how, how my opinion is obviously also based in fact and experience, right? It's not, um, it's not an armpit. Everybody has opinions and some people stink. Uh, my opinion is based in fact, experience, clinical, uh, clinical history, as well as uh, coaching consulting history too. So um, those of you who don't know me, we help parents of highly sensitive children break out of the meltdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. And I want to just make sure that any of you, any of you who are learning about this trait or who are, are just trying to figure out why your child is exhibiting behaviors that, that are explosive or frustrating and you're experiencing emotions related to that as well, that you are clear on what I focus on, which is the meltdown cycle for highly sensitive kids, okay? Because not every highly sensitive child is in a meltdown cycle, all right? So our specialty is helping parents who are parenting a highly sensitive kid who is also stuck in a meltdown cycle. That's our specialty. So two layers of, of um, uh, specificity here, right? So parenting a highly sensitive kid is a very rewarding, amazing job. I have at least one in the house um, and uh, in my home, and, and it's, it's a delight. Okay, hi there. Let's um, say hi, guys. Ask your questions. I'm here because um, I'm really fired up about this topic. It just came across my feed, and and I had some free time, so um, you catch me on a Thursday where I'm in my cozy clothes. It's great. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about this topic, and um, and and let's have it. Okay. So, anyways, what I think is really important to um, uh, to highlight here is that I've been working in the mental health field since I was 17. Okay. My first position was in a residential treatment center. I was an intern when I was in high school because I knew I wanted to be a therapist very early on in my career. Now I'm no longer a therapist because the medical model is broken and the mental health system is broken. And I say that definitively. And I want to tell you why about this one, one little tidbit of, it, of, um, uh, of a focus here, right? Now, especially for um, tr children who have experienced extensive trauma or chronic trauma um, or even single incident trauma, mental health support is very necessary. And so when I say the system's broken, I'm not saying it should be destroyed. Um, so I, I want to make sure we stay out of extremes here because uh, that's necessary in life, right? Um, but... I digress. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to ramble about a, a bunch of different topics here. But I want to make sure that we're we're all clear that you that you guys know my intention is to help parents. We do that really well. Creates emotional safety, psychological safety, and physical safety in their homes when their children are losing their minds and explosive or implosive. And so, uh, because we do that, um, we've seen the gamut. And I've been doing this uh, for a while. In um, and and did this for um, for quite a long time in the mental health field as well as a therapist. So with that being said, uh, that's the highlight of my qualifications to read the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual to you today and explain why this label is awful, awful. Um, so there's my opinion, you know, first and foremost, you got it, right? Um, it's awful, all right? That's a judgmental word, but I wanna back it up with uh, science, uh, with 
clinical experience and with knowledge that goes beyond the mental health knowledge that is typically out there and provided. All right. So, um, buckle up. All right. So uh, this is, this is for this information for you to be focusing on the fact that your child who's highly sensitive is much more resilient and capable than some people will tell you. All right. Um, and whether they're professionals, uh, medical providers, or just, you know, Tom and Sally neighbor uh, around the corner, right? So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page that I assume your child is resilient. I assume your child is not fragile. You need to assume that too, in order to break out of this pattern. You also need to assume as a parent that you are resilient and you are not fragile. Now, if you resonate with that, then stick around. We're ready to rock, right? Um, if you don't, if you tend to prefer to, to decide that you are helpless to this, that your child is doing this behavior to you, uh, that there's something wrong with your kid and they're vindictive and manipulative, this is not the room for you. Uh, this is not the space for you to vent on that. You might feel like that, but you have to more globally zoom out from there. Um, in order to parent your highly sensitive child well and effectively and help them reach their fullest potential. And so if that's a, a belief that you, you know, hang on to and, and you want to buckle in with, then this is not the space. You can go find a different space for that. But if you are with me, still with me, that your child can and will be resilient, your child is not fragile, and they can and will be empowered to solve their problems creatively with appropriate parenting, and I say appropriate, not meaning that it's um, that there's there's something wrong with you if you don't have that appropriateness yet, right? Then let's keep going, okay? So oppositional defiant disorder is a diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, and um, that is the book, all right? I have to dig it out. <laughs> that is the book for uh, clinical professionals, med medical professionals, and mental health professionals to make psychological diagnoses uh, from, okay? So it's a standard, right? It's a big old book. Uh, there's a fair amount of politics that fund the uh, what gets in the book. I'm not going to, um, you know, dive into that because there's no need to, to highlight, um, highlight that at this point. But there, it is definitely a biased book, and is it's the only book that allows for um, reimbursement for for the healthcare system, um, for for medical insurance, and everything like that. So it 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 is required to be used by mental health professionals who are um, billing insurance or whose parents, I mean, whose whose clients are going to seek reimbursement for insurance. All right, um, insurance reimbursement. So. It is necessary, and it's something that we have to study as a clinical mental health provider. We have to study. We have to be um, uh, kept on the up and up and when new um, uh, new versions come out, right? We're tested on it. We can't pass a licensure test if we don't understand what the book talks about. Now, here's the clear piece here. I mean, it's a, it's a like 800-page book, all right? 900-page book, okay? So... Um, big. And what that means is that uh, a med medical professional, hey guys, listen up. Hello, say hi. Um, a medical professional has to know what's in the book and typically needs to refer to it because it's very difficult to memorize everything in a 900 page book, right? So I have it here and we're going to go over ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. All right. Um, and I want to ensure that we are paying attention to this with the context of raising a highly sensitive child, okay? Because when you're parenting your sensitive kid and your child's behavior is something that you're trying to figure out a, a, a meaning for, right? You wanna know why, why is my kid acting like this? Why are they hitting, kicking, yelling, screaming, throwing things, saying the worst stuff, you know, um, words that I've never taught them before. Even when you're gentle parenting, even when you're trying to teach them about emotions, even when you're trying to teach them um, to care about other people and to see this the other side, to to build negotiation and um, uh, collaboration skills, even when you're doing all of this intentional, uh, child-focused, child development-focused parenting, your child is still explosive and struggling with this with this level of intentionality. You, as a parent, right? Raise your hand. Let me know in the chat. 
have likely gone down some Google rabbit holes, right? Likely tried to seek some support from a professional or, you know, um, seen, um, seen different language in, uh, in, in Facebook groups and yada, yada. So my objective, uh, in this, uh, in this live is to pay attention to one tiny label, one of the plethora that your child might be considered for if you go into the mental health uh, realm of, of the medical model of trying to solve the behavior problem that you see in your household. And what's critical to understand is where you guys get stuck, as where, you know, where you can get stuck as a parent and what that does moving forward if you look at your child from this these types of labels, all right? So the lens within which you view your child in, just changes, changes the way that your child is able to view themselves, all right? So as a parent, we are expected, presented with the opportunity and the blessing to raise our children with unconditional love. Unconditional love means that no matter what our kid does, we are expected to love them and, and not have that be um, uh, taken away from them or um, uh, <clears throat> withheld or <clears throat> used against them when they're behaving ineffectively, inappropriately, dangerously, etc. right? Let me know in the chat if this is resonating with you. Give me an emoji. Let's have a conversation, guys. I'm not here to just ramble at you. Let's do it, all right? So if you agree with that, um, give me a thumbs up. <laughs> if you agree with that, you know, that's our, that's our opportunity, right? Our children were put on this earth for, um, not for us to keep us happy, right? It's our job to decide, yes, Amanda, that's it, right? Um, thank you. Um, <clears throat> our children were put on this earth for a, a purpose, right? It's a blessing to raise them. And it is our job as parents to raise them in a manner where we teach them how to reach their fullest potential, right? If you agree with that, give me an emoji, heart, say hi, thumbs up, whatever, let's engage, let's have a chat, all right? Um, so with those principles, with that as the core of how we parent our children, how we care about our kids, I want to read to you the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual criteria for oppositional defiant disorder, all right? So number one is angry or irritable mood, okay? Um, a child who often loses their temper, is often touchy or easily annoyed, is often angry and resentful, all right? Number two, argumentative and defiant. Listen to the language here, right? Often argues with authority figures or for children and adolescents with adults, often actively defies or refuses to comply with requests from authority figures or rules, often deliberately annoys others, often blames others for his or her mistakes or behavior. And then number three, vindictiveness, all right? Has been spiteful or vindictive at least twice within the past three months, okay? Now, these criteria need to have been present for a child for at least six months, and you need to meet four out of those eight that I just named, all right? Now, there's three categories. There's eight total characteristics, behaviors, behaviors that you see from your child in order to fit the criteria. Now, if the child is younger than five, the DSM says that the behavior should occur on most days for a period of at least six months. For children over five, the behavior should occur at least once a week for at least six months, all right? Rachel, hey, let's do it. <laughs> Good to see you. Now, the behaviors do not occur exclusively uh, with just a sibling, okay? So if it's just sibling behavior, then the kid doesn't meet criteria according to the DSM, all right? Now, um, also, if the child is psychotic or there's substance abuse or depression or bipolar disorder present for the child, then ODD should not be labeled, right? Um this is, this is, this, these are like the bare bones. Okay. Like I said, I'm not going to read to you the, the entire section of ODD, but those are the highlights. And as a clinician, when somebody's making a diagnosis to have the client, Hey Heather, when the, um, to have the client seek re uh, reimbursement from their insurance pro uh, plan. Hold on. I got to turn off my notifications. I'm getting guys. Um, 
So medical provider, mental health provider, we see these diagnoses come from pediatricians. We see clients who, who come in with this diagnosis from a mental health provider, okay, ODD. And um, those, are the, those are the main ones, all right, uh, because an occupational therapist is not allowed to diagnose. They don't have that training. And, um, and that's, that's basically where we're going. All right. Uh, psychiatrist too. Okay. Um, so, so pediatrician, psychiatrist, um, and a mental health provider, a mental health provider could be a licensed clinical professional counselor. That's mine. Uh, social worker. All right. Licensed clinical social worker. It can't just be a bachelor's. It's gotta be a master's and with clinical specialty. Okay. And then also a psychologist. All right. So psychologists are, are clinically, they have the same training as, I mean, a different framework to look at the training, but the same training, just an extra year to go write a dissertation and do more research as a mental health provider that is a licensed clinical counselor and a licensed clinical social worker. All right. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. And if you have psychologists who tell me that they're holier than now, then, um, you know, you could, you could be gone <laughs> because I've worked with a bazillion <laughs> clients who've seen psychologists who don't know what they're talking about with this issue. And that is just the thing. So here's the deal. That extra year of, of, um, of education doesn't necessarily make you an expert. So, um, now that we have that, that understanding, now that we have the criteria, what I want us to do now is pick apart why this is awful. Okay. So let's go. Um, first and foremost, if your child is experiencing intense emotional intensity, intense emotional intensity, those are two things <laughs> because you can experience emotional intensity like once in a blue moon. Right. And that's not intense. Right. So when I say intense, I'm talking about the duration lasting longer than five minutes at a time, frequency lasting daily, multiple times a day, multiple times a week, and uh, intensity in terms of uh, behavior being very extreme, high highs, low lows, right? Now we're talking about the low lows when we're looking at this ODD behavior, but when a, when a mental health provider is paying attention to that, they're not paying attention to the high highs. They're not paying attention to the other pieces of the kid's life or um, let alone the family dynamics, right? They're looking at just the kid, okay? Now, when we go into an understanding of child development, uh, any bottom line, any mental health provider, medical provider who is using the ODD label does not understand child development period, point blank. You cannot argue with that with me. I feel 100% um, confident with that. And, and it's just simply not something you're going to convince me otherwise of. All right. So that's number one, right? They don't understand child development. Uh, they don't understand neuroscience and they don't understand how children learn. All right. So that's number one. If you see the diagnosis, you need to run. And it's also true that you should educate yourself as a parent. Okay. Um, because if you're trying to uh, work with a pediatrician who's trying to give that label and you don't have a lot of choice in the matter of, of, of the med medical provider, then you need to make sure that you're not going to go, you know, stick yourself in the same office and, in a, you know, in, in a different building uh, and get the same result, right? You have to know how to educate yourself for the medical provider stuff, mental health provider stuff. Um, you know, you guys know how I stand in terms of what's necessary for breaking out of the meltdown cycle. Therapy uh, is a long and effective, a long, excuse me, long and expensive and ineffective route to break out of the meltdown cycle. Now, if your kid is um, solving, is struggling to solve problems creatively, safely, right? Then what that means is that they are likely solving problems from knee-jerk reactions. They are likely solving problems from a lack of creativity, right? Um, and what's happening there is that they are responding in fight or flight, right? Fight or flight for a kid who's demonstrating behaviors that would fit criteria for ODD, this is the kiddo who's more often likely to fight in a moment when they are fearful than to flee, right? Because think about this, often loses temper, right? If you're often losing your temper, you're fighting the situation, right? Um, next, often touchy or easily annoyed, right? Anybody else walking on eggshells in their home? Okay. So that's, that's an important piece. This is a, this is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. It's not a kid problem. The whole family is struggling in this. And if your child is touchy, easily annoyed, then they are experiencing the environment as stressful, right? If you're stressed out, why are you stressed out? 
only because of what's going on up here? No, because there's likely other stuff going on in your life that's contributing to that stress. Now, remember, I told you, I assume that if you're listening to me, you're a parent that is not fragile. You're okay hearing this. What that means is that this dynamic in your home is stressful to your kid. Can we all agree that, 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 that if you don't know how to continuously and effectively and, and you know, all, all well intentions, of course, um, create a, an emotionally safe environment for your kid, your kid's going to feel stressed, right? Because if it's not emotionally safe for you, then of course it's not emotionally safe for your kid, right? So we're, we're just going to operate with that, that awareness. So um, I'm not here to judge you for that, but I'm absolutely here to tell you that this is a stuck experience. For the whole family. Good. I'm getting likes and hearts. Yay. Hi. Good. Great. All right. We're resonating here. Great. Okay. So then why are we judging the child's reaction to an environment and saying the kid needs a label as oppositional and defiant? Why are we doing that? Because the person who's giving them that label doesn't understand child development, doesn't understand what leads to child behavior and how children learn to communicate. Right. So all behavior is communication. Right. My child is doing something and they're trying to tell me what, you know, but it's very important. We teach our clients this, like, do not take your kids words at face value. Now, if your child is saying things uh, where they're threatening to hurt themselves or others and they wish they were dead, you have to take that seriously. Right. We have to assess, have they made a plan or have they, you know, um, are they actively trying to enact that, right? We don't, we don't, when I say don't take your word, your kid's words at face value, what I mean by that is that there's something underneath that that's driving them to say that behavior. It doesn't mean that that behavior that you see in front of you, the words coming out of their mouth, you hear, right? And you watch them say it. It doesn't mean you ignore it and you say, oh, they'll grow out of it. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not, right? So let's not let's not be in extremes here where we stick our head in the sand. So we're going through, okay? Criteria number one, often loses temper, right? Kids popping off on a on a multiple times a week basis, multiple times a day basis, then there's something going on internally for them to have that reaction, right? The internal experience of a human being is here, here, and here. Okay? And, and, and labeling a child with this diagnosis only focuses on here. And that's just simply not how children learn. It's not how children develop. So it's wrong. Um, secondarily, is often angry and resentful. Now, where does resentment come from? Resentment comes from hurt and a lack of power. All right. When you're resentful, you give your power away to somebody else. So what's going on here? Your child feels disempowered somehow. If your child feels disempowered, then they are acting in a way that someone would, an outsider view, would label as resentful. But it's incredibly important to understand that your child is still a child. They are not self-aware enough to plan their behaviors in advance. Why? 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 Because their, their, their brain literally doesn't work like that. This is why, okay? Um, this part of the brain, the frontal lobe, does not have thorough connections to move to the knee-jerk reaction side of the brain, all right? The fight, flight, freeze side of the brain. Now, if you were listening to a professional who's saying this is uh, alligator brain or monkey mind or... Um, uh, you know, any sort of animal, that professional is not up to date with the research. We don't use that language anymore. So it's really important to pay attention to who you're listening to. This is the deep limbic system. This is a nervous system conversation we need to have. Nervous system, your um, spidey senses on your skin, your spidey senses in your, um, uh, your tension seekers in the room, right? Um, the, the nerves in your body, like if I go like this, that I feel something, right? That's the nervous system. It's connected to your brain stem. It's connected to your heart and your soul. And it's also connected to your mind as well as your brain, okay? So your mind is different than your brain, right? You tracking with me, guys? Is this like mind-blowing? Um, so a professional who's saying the behavior that I do is what I'm going to label 
is not looking at inside the kid's body, inside the kid's experience, which includes outside the body. How do people talk to them? Who's teaching them, right? They're not looking at that. They're just saying the end result, which is the kid's behavior, is the thing we should, we should fix. How? How do you fix ODD? Tell the kid they're wrong and tell them their, their, appropriate, their, their behavior is inappropriate? I don't know about you, but I, I have a seven-year-old and a two, almost, well, she's one and a half, and a, and a baby. Like, that, what am I doing there? I'm, I'm seeding an identity of disempowerment. I'm telling them they're a bad kid. No kid is bad. No kid is bad. No kid is oppositional. We don't label them with the, the end results of their behavior. That's not their personality. Certainly not their identity. Okay, this is a side effect. All right, now I'm getting, I'm getting fired up at the, 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 the system that is, that is confusing you as a parent, not at you, okay? So I get, you know, <laughs> the fiery redhead is here. <laughs> it's not in anger, it's in passion, right? So hopefully uh, we're all on the same page on that, right? Um, because it's, it's broken, like I said, it's broken. So here we go. Right, we've got this. We've got the next piece, which is that the child is arguing with authority figures, or for children and adolescents, arguing with adults. Listen, what is the definition of argumentative? Right? If the child doesn't have the skill set to safely say what they need, then is the definition of arguing a no? Like, that's the first word out of a toddler's mouth for most of our toddlers. Or one of them, right? It's the first thing they learn. I'm different than you, and therefore I don't have the same feelings as you or the same desires as you, and therefore I get to communicate that. Now, if your child is nine and they're still communicating with two-year-old skill set, then we got a problem, right? But the kid isn't the problem. The kid's emotional development has a big gap that we need to close, okay? So why are we telling the kid they're oppositional, giving them that label? Listen, if you have a label as a vice president of your uh, organization or manager of your organization, you have an opportunity there to decide, are you going to manage well? Are you going to be a VP that's, that's, that's good? Are you going to have your master's degree and, and, and use it for good, right? That's a label that creates opportunity. If you label your kid as oppositional, there's no opportunity in that label but failure. So why are we following systems? Why are we engaged? I'm not. I left it. I kept the license because, you know, people think credentials are important these days, right? I still stay on the up and up with this stuff, right, and, and keep my training and all of that. But I don't operate in a system that perpetuates labeling children with a damaging identity. No, absolutely not. And I will not tolerate that for children because no one was put on this earth to be miserable. Not your kid who's currently miserable. Not you who's, who's trying so hard to parent your kid and are still feeling miserable, okay? And certainly not the, the two, three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds who are getting these labels. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so when we go into an understanding of why are children communicating no as their immediate response, we go back to the fight or flight system. What do you do when you fight? You say no. <laughs> Just say no. I mean, they taught it in the 80s with the D.A.R.E. program, right? Just say no. A boundary is here. Why do I set a boundary? because I don't think I can be safe, I don't think I can feel safe, or I don't know how or why and when we are helping, all right? So Amanda, um, if, if you're stuck, you definitely need to get on our calendar. We help our clients, we've got some clients listening in, break out of this pattern so much more efficiently and effectively than any other system in the world. And um, happy to talk to you about that. But what I wanna make sure that we're all clear on is what our standards are what our standards are here as a team, like where we, um, where we, uh, where we take a stand, right? And, um, and, and what we believe in, because we don't buy into that baloney pants stuff, man. 
Okay, so here's the deal. Your kid was destined for greatness. And if your child isn't able to see that talking to somebody regularly, including their parent, is going to help them be opportunistic and take challenges as opportunities, then there's a relationship problem in the family system. All right. Now, what that means is that there we go. <laughs> Heather knows um, she's she's made massive, massive shifts. She and her husband with their family. Um, thank you, Heather. Love you, too. Um, oh, my goodness gracious. And so what we need to notice is that when the when the when when a child is put in this box, this damaging, damning box, then they hear that as this is who you are. So how can we look at our kid from this criteria, deliberately annoys others? That indicates you have to assume the child is manipulative. You have to assume with that language that the child is doing this behavior on purpose. How many of you say things you regret and, and tell me, hey, Stephanie, how many of you say things you regret and, and then after the fact, realize that was an impulsive decision after the fact realize as an adult that it wasn't what you really meant to say okay so then why are we saying as an adult you make those mistakes less often one would hope <laughs> right much less often and much less egregious than you know if your child's in the meltdown cycle right now but why are we assuming that a child is deliberate listen this is why the DSM is broken. This is why the mental health um, system is broken because it doesn't include neuroscience. Deliberate, anno deliberately annoys others. Deliberately annoys others requires the child's frontal lobe to be completely intact enough to be present to the moment, to organize their thoughts, to choose a thought and dictate a behavior. And when they choose that thought and they choose the behavior to go with that thought, you are annoying and I don't like you. And therefore, I must make something happen to you in order to get rid of this discomfort I feel. That requires frontal lobe capacity to understand cause and effect and to plan in advance. And when your child is dysregulated, the connection between this part of the brain and this part of the brain is not there. It's just not fully developed, okay? So they have this part of the brain. But when you think about it from the standpoint of like, here's the brain, okay? Now, oh, I picked a pen that isn't actually working. <laughs> Give me a second. Okay, you've got the brain, all right? We're not here for my artistic skills, guys, okay? You've got the brain. We've got the brain, all right? This is the frontal lobe, part of the brain here in the front. Executive functioning skills, the ability to organize, the ability to communicate um, intentionally, the ability to set intentions and follow through on them, the understanding of cause and effect, all of that going on in the frontal lobe. Then we have the deep limbic system, which is this part, all right? This part of the brain, okay? So think about neural pathways like highways, all right? Highways, streets, and roads, okay? So your child right now has a highway of I feel a feeling, which is showing up in the amygdala, somewhere around here, okay? And then um, fear, all right? And then I'm gonna automatically go to self-preservation um, uh, and, and uh, overwhelm and fight or flight. That's self-preservation, because why you have your brainstem here? You gotta protect the body first. The brain, the brain has to protect the rest of the body first when it's in fight or flight, all right? Why? Because you can't run from out of the air if you're not paying attention to your body and you're just thinking about it, right? So you also can't uh, freeze if the bear is the kind of bear that you're not supposed to run from, <laughs> right? So the brain has to put all blood flow towards this part of the brain, all right? This is some of the stuff we teach our clients, but um, you guys are getting a, pre a preview here. Why? Why is this so necessary to pay attention to, Okay because this is reaction behavior. This is the, um, all mammals have this part of the brain, deep limbic system, right? Um, and, and some animals do, a lot of animals do, all right? But we don't call this the animal brain. It's called the deep limbic system because it's connected to the um, nervous system, 
All right, I'm not gonna get into that because that's more, um, you need better context to actually do, information isn't transformation, right? So I'm just here to give you the information right now. Um, and, and, and I'm trying to stay focused because I probably have other things to do today. <laughs> that I had a cancellation today, I'm like, let's talk. All right, so, so um, I gotta get to that. But we've got the fight or flight system being run by this part of the brain, okay? This is your kid's highway right now. If your child is uh, angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, and, and, and exhibiting unsafe behavior to the max, all right? This is what's going on. Fear, save body. Fear, save body. Fear, save body. How do you save your body? You yell, you scream, and you fight, right? Or you, I hope nobody sees me, right? I'm a ghost. Why? If you're terrified, that's what happens or you flee, right? Or you play dead, which is the flop system, okay? There's four, not fight, flight, freeze. Anybody using fight, flight, freeze and they're not mentioning flop? Again, they're using outdated information, okay? Now, here we go, here we go. We've got the frontal lobe. This, this part of the brain, now I just colored it in, which doesn't serve me in this diagram here, is not fully developed. That means that the, there's no highways. There's no highways for kids in this part of the brain. None. There's dirt roads. There's uh, grassy paths. <laughs> okay. There's a highway here. If your kid is stressed all the time, and when you're stressed all the time, are you kind? Are you nice? Do you communicate well? Do you plan in advance? Or are you impulsive? Okay. So same thing going on for your kid. So why are we telling ourselves that our child's behavior is supposed to be better than us when we're at our heightened level of intensity? If we don't have skills to use and, and to communicate effectively and, 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 and uh, efficiently and, and, and well, hey, Francis, how you doing? Um, then why are we expecting children to be better in their brain development than us, right? So as leaders, we go first. We have to understand where are we leading, where are we showing our kid, right? We have to extinguish that behavior. But you can't do that by white knuckling, right, Stephanie, right, Francis? You can't do that by just keeping it calm because what are you doing? You're freezing mirroring, showing your kid to keep it together, to, to, to shut it down. That's a fight, flight, freeze response. Hey, Mary, right? So, whew, whew, right? We can't be helping our kid out of their fight, flight, freeze response by trying to teach them by fight, flight, freezing, right? So this is one of the things that, I mean, it's one of the, the first big things um, exactly. Francis knows she's learned, right? She's, she's, she's been through boot camp, and, um, and, and you have to build that skill. So it's incredibly important. Staying calm is not the name of the game and moving your emotions so that you bring this part of the brain back online is part of the game, right? In addition to obviously teaching your kid in a more explicit and, and significant manner. However, we have the medical label that says the kid is spiteful. Spiteful requires an emotion, and a driven, calculated behavior. How on earth are you going to raise a resilient, empowered leader and a child who, has, who is successful, not just meeting developmentally milestones, we, you know, we're not here to raise mediocre kids, who is thriving in their lives. If we're just focusing on making them, uh, and calling them spiteful, that's a, that's a judgmental label that keeps them stuck if I ever heard one, right? No, wrong, wrong. Why? Because this part of the brain does not have a connection to fear like a highway, like this one does for kids. And it's your job to help them build that, All right? You got to do that playfully. You got to do that safely from a, from a calm manner, right? How many of you know somebody who is upset in a, in a relationship with you who was telling you, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I'm fine. Are you going to learn from that person? Are you going to like, do you, do you feel comfortable and safe there? Right? So when I use the word safe, I'm not talking about uh, any sort of presumption that you're abusing your kid. What I'm saying is that your standard for safe cannot stop at pretending to be safe. So when I say that a child who is highly sensitive, who is noticing big things, who takes in a lot more information from the world, 
who is very detail oriented and responds to that, who thinks big, thinks <laughs> and has so many wonderful, beautiful ponderings about the meaning of life and of why we do things and, and how and where, right? And they are emotionally compassionate. They have, these are all your child's strengths. You see that, right? If your child's stuck in the mouth on cycle, they might not be consistent, but if it's there, then you can grow it faster than if you're starting from scratch, right? Fantastic. So here we go, all right? That's the assumption that you need to be operating from. If it's there, then we can grow it. And if it's not there, then there's something more significant going on where my child feels so stuck in fight or flight, self-preservation, survival, that they're not even able to show their true self. Do not look at the aftermath of that as a definition of your kid's personality. That's not who your kid is. That is your kid at their, their least effective self. Are we all in agreement with that? Okay. So that's not who your kid is. What you see is not what you are getting with your kid. Okay. What you see in front of your face is not what you can be labeling. You have to, as a parent, we are all tasked with this. And it is a gift to see much greater for our children than what we see right now in their emotion management, in their capacity to influence others, in their ability to be wise and, and communicative and emotionally influential. Highly sensitive children are put on this earth to influence others in a positive manner. And yet they fall on either end of the bell curve when we look at statistics. Two standard deviations from the mean. All right. Low or high. And it starts with you. You are the parent who helps your ch child fall into the low or the high quality um, and, and the high capacity. If you're highly sensitive yourself, you know you cannot tolerate mediocrity, right? So why are you presuming that your kid will tolerate that for their lives as well? Your child is not average. They are gifted. They are emotionally gifted. They're possibly even academically gifted as well. And so what does that mean? They are falling in the, I don't know if I have the right orientation, but whatever, let's not get stuck on that detail here. They're falling in either the low side or the high side. And that is movable. Don't look at what you see as, as your kid's potential, right? Highly sensitive kids without skills fall in the low end or, and with skills, they fall in the high end. Who teaches them skills? Parents. Parents, you have that relationship with them. You have that relationship with them. And when we foster that relationship in an effective way and you learn your own skills in all kinds of ways, then your, your, your child's capacity speeds up faster than if you outsource this to some professional who's operating in a system that literally can label your kid with such a damaging identity. There's no way, no way you can achieve this goal for your kid if you're following that process, right? Because you've got to fight against the system to make it happen when you're already trying to fight on a day, not fight on a daily basis, right? I mean, it's maddening. It's overwhelmed. No wonder you're feeling exhausted. No wonder you're wondering if you're doing it well. No wonder you're questioning whether or not your kid needs gentle parenting. Maybe they need a firm hand. No, they don't. No, they don't. Okay. Putting a leash around your kid with your language and your, your, your structure and, and, and hard and fast rules does not help your child expand into growth. Okay. So you know that, you know that in your gut, but because you can't see it in your life right now, you've started to question it. It's impacted your self-esteem, right? And so if it's impacted your self-esteem as a parent, starting to wonder, am I capable of this? Can my kid really learn from me? Am I doing it right? Um, you know, then, then, and, and your child has low self-esteem because they're saying things like I'm the worst kid ever, right? Then you have to shift your capacity for high self-esteem first. You can't wait for your kid to change. And you certainly can't do that by labeling them as deliberately annoying others, right? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. So one of the things that we teach our parents is to foster that inner confidence because you're, you can't wait for your kid to change in order for you to change. 
Now, it's a heck of a lot easier to feel more confident if you have a system that works, right? You can double down and trust uh, uh, trust in the system while you're trusting in yourself and building your skill set, right? You can, you can scaffold that so that you can emotionally scaffold your kid, which, again, makes it more efficient. But the alternative is you go to therapy and you try to champion yourself and say, I can do this, and, I, and you create this interpersonal development. Come heck or high water, I can parent my child. And then you go work on your kid, right? So like that, that, that has to happen. Whether, you know, if you want to stay in the medical model, you, you're going to have to go to your own therapist too, because it's so um, impactful and anxiety provoking, right? And it's going to take years to, to retrain you that with that mo model. Because you're, you know, what, 30, 40? How many, how many years have you been talking to yourself? Like if you don't get your result, you're not good enough. Okay, so when you when you shift the dynamic, you're not fragile. You don't need to contemplate changing. You're ready to change. You're ready to shift. And you, and and all you need is some some clear specific skills and and accountability and troubleshooting. Then you can grow faster, right? You can grow faster. You can stop feeling like you're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks, right? And and this is where your child thrives. Now. I want to talk about this because one of the things that we teach our clients and that I say that, that, that isn't said in any other avenue is that this is a meltdown cycle. And one thing that I think parents have gotten, you know, you might have gotten tripped up on in, in how I explain this. And we're going to be refining that. So drop an emoji in the chat if you're ready for me when I refine it. Um, we'll be doing a, a presentation, something I'm sure I'm working on it. I've got the anything. But right now, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. Okay. You ready for that? Thumbs up. The meltdown cycle is not a your kid cycle. We're going to say it again. The meltdown cycle is not your child being kind and then struggling and suffering and then yelling and then having regret and then being kind again. It's not just your kid. That's one part of the situation. Okay. Your kid is having their own cycle. Loop-de-loops, right? It's why you feel like you're going mad. And when you feel like you're going mad because you're trying to parent them, you're in your own loop. Now, you may or may not be melting down because maybe you have some emotion management skills, I hope, right? That would be a good, uh, a good thing. But you're looping with them. And who here, I love this, who here has ever seen Beyblades? Let me know. We got, let me know in the chat. Do you guys know what Beyblades are? I have girls, so um, I've just, you know, as a play therapist and we work with the kids in all my years, like, you guys know what Beyblades are, right? Am I using the right metaphor here? I'm going to wait for somebody to, to let me know. Okay, Francis doesn't. <laughs> so Beyblades are, um, they're a toy. You know what a spinning top is, right? toy that spins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a toy that spins, right? So um, let's take a, a circle, right? So I've got a circle here. Um, so so um, they're, they, they were, you know, and this is dating me because my kid doesn't play with them. But when I was a therapist, we had kids in, using them in the office, um, uh, you know, several years ago, um, when I was doing more individual therapy, right? So <laughs> I guess it's dating me in that respect. So um, they're, they're, there's, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the modern day spinning top. Okay. Um, basically you, you have like some sort of contraption and then you pull it and, and the, the spinny thing comes out and then another, and then a friend is supposed to like pogs back in the day, like another friend is supposed to, I mean, I know kids are into, um, uh, Pokemon, right. Um, and, and playing with cards more these days, but the Beyblades, they would have battles. All right. And so then somebody else would have a, uh, a spinning top coming out as well. And, and when you have, you know, you guys can mentally follow me when I think about toys that spin, right? We've got two spinning tops. So your kid is having their own meltdown cycle, right? Um, I'm sorry. I can't believe I said that. I'm the worst ever. It's the, it's awful, right? They're crying and you, you know, this is where you get your evidence of like, okay, my kid is compassionate. They care. They're, 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 um, you know, we're double checking. They do have empathy. They just can't manage how to communicate it yet. Right. And that's where you question yourself. Am I parenting well? Because they feel so sad, but they can't inhibit their behavior. What's going on. Right. So they have that spin. We all resonating with that. You guys have seen that spin, right? So they're spinning. 
okay? Um, using my lotion here to describe that, right? This is a life experience on a daily basis when you have a meltdown, right? So your kid's having that meltdown, right? Then here you come spinning out that, that thought track yourself, right? Do I handle this well? Uh, you know, crud, I had a bad day. You know, I'm, I'm a little on edge myself. And so then I'm circling in my own mind of what do I do now? Who, what am I saying? Did I say that right? Right. What boundary do I set? Do I hold the boundary? Do I empathize? Do I validate? Did I validate well enough? The kid is screaming like now what? Right. And so now we have two spinners, right? And if you're a parent, family of two, then great. Those are the only two variables you need to control for. But most of you have, are a family of three or greater, right? And so what happens then? We got another family member. I don't know if I have any more circular items on my desk. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see. What do I got, guys? My clients know that I love to, to, to teach with visible, visual aids, right, guys? And it's always like, what does Megan have around in her desk to communicate? So I'm spinning. All right, I'm not going to spin this hair tie because that's going to be tricky. But you've got, now you've got three circles. Holy smoly. All right, so now I'll get back to drawing, right? So we've got the spinning. You guys are picking up what I'm putting down, right? So now if you have a family of three or greater, you've got somebody else. And, and maybe they're not directly interacting, but you're wondering, what are they going to say next? Are they going to come in the, the door? Are they going to, you know, is the little sibling going to come in and, and, and make wide-eyed? And, and, and so then you have spinners, right? And the Beyblades, when they, when they spin, you've got two spinning things and they, they hit, they collide. They, the, the, the whole toy is like to fight, right? So th that's why I'm using this, this example, right? But it's the same thing as a spinning top. When you have two spinning tops come together, they don't work together in harmony <laughs> and like attach to each other and become this like one big mixing pot of joy. No, it's a freaking disaster, right? It's a freaking disaster. And so what happens is, is as a parent, you're trying to do that. Let me use my spinny beliefs and, and my, you know, my uncertainty and, and try to absorb my kid into my own cyclone here and um, meanwhile, I'm trying to get us to go this way. Gentle parenting, emotional intelligence. Let's roll. Let's rock. Right? <laughs> Francis, with your heads on top. <laughs> Remember what it would, was, was like before, before you worked with us, right? Your heads on top. Now, see, I'm a visual learner, and I love to visually teach. So um, that's it, Francis. I love it. Okay? So you've got this. <laughs> Now I've got your family's faces on the top of the trips. So anyways, we've got this, right? And so what are you trying to do? You're trying to over control your kid because you're trying to take them on and move them this way. Meanwhile, your kid is, they could go this way any, at any second because it's a spinning top, okay? That's a dynamic happening in your home on a daily basis. So why are we labeling a kid with the, the behavior you see at the end of that spinning top or in the middle of that spinning top as the thing to fix? No, we have to look at the bigger picture. We have to zoom out. We have to get out of this cycle and recognize that the family dynamic, however many members you have, this is a system going on and the system isn't operating effectively. So great news, we use science to focus on what helps, okay? So we've got vantage sensitivity on our side. That means that you are the leader in your home and you are the therapeutic change agent for your kid. That means that when you change the way you spin and you actually stop spinning regularly, more effectively and less, then you help your child come to you and follow the process and your child stops spinning as well, all right? And this is so, so important to pay attention to because when your kid is in the meltdown cycle, nobody's teaching it like this. Everybody's saying, go fix your kid, go fix your kid, all the way to the point of, your kids oppositional and and deliberately annoying other people and um active i mean none of that is based in science guys none of it none of it and listen when we pay attention to the evidence of what research tells you and you stay up and up with the research right now you don't need to do that you can work with us to do that that's our job but when you pay attention to what's working outside of the construct of the medical model, which at its base is a sick care system, let's help you be a little less sick, right? That's where the mental health industry is. Let's help you be a little less sick. Talk to any trauma therapist about your child's behavior and hear anything different from them than 
They'll probably, it's not that bad. Then I want to know who that therapist is because some of our clients do need to send their kids to therapy because they've experienced therapy. I mean, they've experienced a trauma and it's not just, you know, a family dynamic that we need to address, right? Send me that name because I like to keep track of the rare birds in the industry. But what m happens more often than not is that a, a even, even a good therapist who understands the brain, who understands how children experience fight or flight, right? And how they react when they are talking to parents who have not experienced trauma in their household, whose children have not experienced trauma and they see the behavior and they are able to rule out trauma as a, you know, a big overarching stressful event, then what happens is they say that, and they compare the children, your child, to the children that they've seen who are losing their minds and explosive and throwing things and all that, to those children who are, you know, they've, they've, they've experienced to the end of their, the, I mean, horrific stuff, okay? I'm a, I'm a trained trauma therapist. When I worked in, in that field, um, I mean, you just can't imagine what happens to children. And, and, and I, I, I'm not going to get into that, right? It's horrific. It's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. And um, it's awful, right? So a, a trauma therapist who has that understanding notices your kid is growing up in a home with well-intentioned parents who want their children to be emotionally intelligent, who want to help their children express empathy, who, who are raising them without punishing and, 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 and leash pulling sticker charts and, and shaming and holier than thou and my way or the highway and all that stuff intentionally. Now you might do a little bit of that reactively and that's fine in the sense of no, once you notice that and you need a different way, like you could still qualify for our, our services. But if you're doing that, on purpose, then we're not a fit. And you're and you want to keep doing that stuff, we're not a fit, right? So the you know what they what what a what a provider who who knows about about the brain, neuroscience and trauma will say to a parent is that you're still doing it well. You're doing enough. And this is going to shake itself out. And I have talked to so many of our clients who have heard that and it has kept them stuck. All right. It is not your fault. Why? Because the people who are trying to help you have seen worse. And so the medical system is, well, you're not bleeding mentally. You don't need surgery. So then you don't need what, what I offer. Right. And then what happens is they end up validating you too much and telling you your kid's going to grow out of it. And then it's all going to be fine. Let me know in the chat, guys, if you've heard that before. And I, I mean, part of this dynamic is that you see your child's strengths. And so when you tell a professional, you're going to lead with that, right? You're going to lead with that because as parents, we don't want to label our kids with this baloney crap. And so it means you probably don't share in the initial two, three meetings that your kid chucked a, a, a rock at their sibling as one of their egregious behaviors. And instead you say, well, you know, they usually throw what's, what's around. Pencil mostly. Why? Because you're yourself afraid of, of creating this belief with whoever's helping you. Because of your own cycle. I don't want this to go that far. I don't want people to, to label my kid like that. I don't want anybody to think that my kid is dangerous or that there's that level of intensity there. So it's, it's well-intentioned, it's compassionate towards your kid, but if you don't look at that behavior straight in the face, bravely and courageously, and listen to somebody who's seen and treated horror, and, and, and then also has, has served families who are not experiencing that in their lives, and helped them acknowledge that the family dynamic right now is traumatic, but it doesn't mean your kid fits criteria for PTSD and needs to go get uh, trauma treatment in mental health or you. But if you don't highlight that this isn't, this isn't safe in your home and you're not willing to look at that, then you will continue to be reinforced by the medical system that will tell you that it's a your kid problem. 
and you will get stuck, whether it's ODD or PDA or rejection sensitivity dysphoria or um, DMDD. All of those labels are describing the end result of your family's dynamic cycle. And who fixes the family cycle but you? You. You're the parent. You are empowered to do that. You can solve this problem. And that's a big ask, especially you've been trying, right? It's a big ask. It can be an empowering ask if you allow yourself to feel empowered. If you allow yourself to hope and dream again and to own it, own that superhero mama, papa bear mentality and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm not willing to hear that as a possibility for my kids' potential. Nope. We're not going there. So when you take that stand for your family and you fight for your kids' potential now, then you make a significant impact in your kids' life. And in the lives of the, the, the families that you talk to, because that level of leadership of who people talk to you and how people talk to you, it, it changes. They start to see that you are onto something. They start to notice that you are finally exuding that wisdom. They start to ask you, how do you maintain that level of calm, confident uh, certainty? And you get to influence the people around you, which obviously helps your kid, right? Because you're not raising your child in a vacuum. And it's also true that you set the environment for your own home. And when you have that freedom and people come to you to ask you, then you get to take care of more children than just yours. Empoweringly. Instead of right now, what you're trying to do is hope that your friends don't see your kid at their worst. And kick your kid out of the friend group or that your kid hurts your friend's kids because you care about the whole thing, right? Love this. Valerie says, I remember thinking my kid had this before boot camp, but I did not understand it at all. Just another confirmation did the right thing instead. That's right. Hey, Masuma, good to see you too. All right. Love it. Love it. All these boot campers. We're rolling and wrapping up guys, but I want you guys to start to understand that that level of leadership is in you. It's in you. You know it. I'm not here to convince you of that, but I am here to declare it. And there's no flipping way, right? There's no flipping way that you can solve this problem by labeling your kid as anything less than a leader. All right? And oppositional and defiant cannot be in your language or in the language of any provider or any medical professional that you even set foot in their office. It's a mismatch to potential. And your child has a ton of potential. All right. Um, more than the average bear. All right. And this is this is Pluis's research. This is Porges's research. This is um, uh, sort of Elaine Aaron's research, but she does talk a lot about mediocrity in her books. Um, she talks about being a little bit okay as better than melting down. And that's basically what she sets the standard on. So, so as much as I appreciate her pioneering of the field, there's a lot um, missing in the potential that, um, that she speaks into in her work. And um, this is also Linehan's research. But again, that's all like avoiding the worst case scenario. You have to understand the worst case scenario enough to prevent it and not have your head in the sand. But you can't hyper focus on it either. Right. Like you have to you have to see like, and look at it. Right. Shine a light on it. You can't you can't solve a problem by not paying attention to it and, and, and diagnosing it, um, you know, mentally. Right. But you don't have to diagnose it on paper with, with anything from this baloney pants book um, if your child hasn't experienced significant trauma or, um, you know, has any sort of uh, biological components that compound 
the meltdown cycle. And I think that's really important to understand. Listen, I'm not a maverick in the sense that I want to throw the book out um, where, where, where I'm saying it's none of it is uh, relevant. I don't even call myself a maverick because I don't think mavericks call themselves mavericks. <laughs> it's kind of counterproductive, right? But what I'm getting at is noticing that in order to change the industry, in order to serve families and to solve this problem for families around the world, I can't be, um, I, oh, I have to be outspoken about this baloney, right? So that's where we are. That's where we're at. All right. Um, again, um, working on something, let me know in the chat if you want access to it uh, when it's ready. And I will share that with you um, to really more effectively than my handwritten drawings and my, um, my conversation with you today to solve this problem. Now, I will tell you, um, uh, to describe the, truly describe the problem effectively and efficiently. We just focused on one label, but there's so many that are so damaging to kids and, uh, just mischaracterize the problem in it, of itself. So anyways, that's what I'm working on over here. Um, in the meantime, if you're ready and you're like, listen, this is exactly, this is exactly what we're dealing with. I don't need to wait for Megan to perfect her slides and present it again. Uh, then I encourage you to go ahead and book a call. So, um, Let's make sure that 2024 is one where you feel empowered, capable, focused on resilience, and actively choosing to intentionally teach your child how to be playfully resilient. Because meltdown cycles end when parents teach their sensitive kids how to be playfully resilient. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.